Guys, people, on today's show, I interview Daryl Woods Sr. as he tells his amazing, inspiring, just crazy story about how he was freed from prison by faith. In addition to that, we feature new music by Darius James. He dropped a new single entitled Dwell that is available right now. If you are a first-time listener, don't let this be your last time. Visit us at inspireguyspeople.com. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the inspiration. Inspiration, now in session. My wife thinks I'm crazy. How did we get here? I can't believe y'all let me have a show. We going higher and higher, let me inspire you. Guys, people, I see you, let me admire you. He gave you vision and purpose, but you struggle to dream. Cause the seed that was sown wasn't stitched in your jeans. What was in them was denim. I guess what's in them is in them. There's a different perspective that I'm trying to present them. It ain't always peace when you see the peace sign. It don't make you a Levite cause you rock Levi's. What's up, people? I am your host, Jay Will. And I would like to welcome you to Inspire God's People, where we balance faith and business to guide you to your purpose. I really hope and pray that this show has been a breath of fresh air during this pandemic. Look, if you haven't caught on yet, the purpose and the goal and the vision. Look, I was already planning on, um, you know, interviewing these people with these stories. I've been plotting on that for, you know, eight months or whatever. But the timing, you know, timing is everything. I told y'all it's a process. I have ideas for the show that I have to wait to the proper timing to do. Some of us lose track of that at times. Like a good idea might like it's a good idea, but is it the right time for the idea? So I thank God that I waited to start interviewing people. And, um, you know, this time into this pandemic, it, I, I just really felt led like the Lord was just like, inspire do what i like don't change what you're doing inspire and what better way to inspire god's people than to tell the stories of god's people to tell the testimonies of god's people and that's what we've been doing during this pandemic purposefully because you know i don't want you to be down and out and and that's not to say that it might not be tough but what i'm really trying to do is not feed into the fear, not feed into the trouble, no matter how real it may be. I'm not dismissing it, but I'm not feeding that. I want to feed your faith. I want to feed your godly inspiration. And that's why I'm bringing these people on this show to talk to, your, to, talk to you and me, not just you, to talk to me too and inspire me. As I'm listening to these stories like Vince Rutley, Ebony Jean, I'm hearing these stories and I'm being blessed as I'm listening. I'm being challenged as I'm listening. I'm being inspired. And today, that's going to be no different. We have Daryl Woods Sr. And look, this story is going, if this doesn't bless you, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> I don't know what to say. No matter who you are, you should be able to take something from this story and apply it to your life. A lesson. Um, you know, it, there, there's something in here for everyone, no matter how old you are, no matter, you know, what color you are, any of that stuff. It's a lesson in it. Before we get to the interview, my brother Darius James just dropped a new single. It's out right now. It's called Dwell. What I want you to do is I want you to go on Apple Music, Spotify. Some of y'all already listen to Darius' music. So y'all already know Darius' music has been on the show plenty of times. 
But to my new listeners, Darius is my little brother, and he is a dope artist, and he released this song called Dwell. I want y'all to check it out. And if you never heard of Darius' music, when you listen to that, to Dwell, go and download his latest album, WWYG, We Want Your Glory. You're going to find your boy. I'm on a lot of his music. Not a lot of his music, but I'm on all his albums. You know what I'm saying? I'm on something. That's what we do. Like, we always on something with each other, if possible. I'm not on Dwell, though. That's just a single. You know what I'm saying? He dropping a single during the pandemic. This is what we doing. Like, I've been talking to my brother, and we just trying to keep the main thing the main thing and not allow ourselves or the people around us to get down and out or in a rut. So we just working, trying to use the gifts that God gave us to bless his people. And so check out Dwell. We're going to matter of fact, this is my brother. Look, you know what I'm saying? I done had this song. I'm still buying a song today, too. I'm still paying for it. But I done had the song for about two weeks, week or two, whatever it may be. I'm about to just go ahead and let y'all hear at least a minute, minute and a half of it. Maybe we'll get Darius on the show next week at least to talk about his song or something. You know, say something. Check out this song and stick around for a great interview. And do me a favor. Visit us at inspiregodspeople.com and check out every episode. Go to the drop down box, hit podcast. You'll hear You can see every episode. You can listen to every episode, rather. And, you know, give us reviews. If you're listening on Apple or iTunes, review the show. Give us the stars that you think we deserve. If you think it's less than three stars, get out of here. Just joking. You have a right to give this show three stars if you want to. And I have a right to ignore you. Ignore you. Oh, Jesus, you have my attention. I will wait and I will listen. Oh, Jesus, here's my affection to dwell with you as your reflection. I empty myself false so the world offers just to be closer to you I you you and me Holy Spirit dwell in me I you you and me Holy Spirit, rest in me. Oh, Jesus, my salvation, I don't lie, I am not forsaken. Oh, Jesus, in your presence, oh, me. Just heard Dwell by Darius James. That's right. I shut that off right in the middle of the song to make you like it enough to want to go buy it. And that's what I want you to do right now. But you know what? It's time for this interview that you've been waiting on. So let me go ahead and hit him up. 
Yes, sir. Duro, what up? What up, man? How you feeling? I'm blessed, man. How you doing? I'm great, man. I'm great. Hopefully, hopefully you, you know, you're ready to have a good conversation. I definitely, you know, welcome you to Inspire Guys People the Podcast. Um, it's an honor to have you on today, and I know this is gonna be a dope conversation. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. This has been a long time coming. I've been waiting to connect with you, and I've I've been seeing some of your shows, been inspired by uh, many of them, so definitely, I'm ready. Let's go, man. No, I appreciate that. Definitely appreciate you checking it out. So, you know, I guess first things first, man, is um, I should let the audience know that, you know, we are first cousins, so um, it is an honor to have a family member on the show, and we've never met in person, so that is a... um, an interesting uh, fact to start off the show with. Oh, absolutely. Uh, we haven't met when you, since as an as an adult, but I remember you when you was a little kid, a young child, a little young boy uh, <laughs> uh, on the east side, man. That's and, right. Um, uh, I definitely remember that. Um, but we haven't seen each other uh, in over thirty something years. Yeah, so you know, definitely. That you know what's crazy? Until this moment, like I guess I'm just a goofball. In my mind, like I keep thinking we never met. Like you said, I was just a kid. Like, but it ain't like you don't know me. Like you ain't never met me. So no, that's that's actually a cool um little little sidebar for me. It's like, oh man, that's interesting. You know what I'm saying? Like lifetime flies, life goes fast, but I never thought about that dynamic. But Nevertheless, man, it is really cool to be able to have kind of our first in-depth conversation, um, you know, on my show. You know, obviously we connected um, over the last year a couple times, mostly text, uh, a phone conversation. But um, I'm excited, you know, for that very reason, just to have someone with an inspiring story that's literally my first cousin. You know, this ain't a situation where you're calling somebody your cousin and it's really like five generations down or something. Like, we really first cousins. So. <laughs> I'm excited, man. So tell the people a little bit about, you know, I, I like to start off with, you know, maybe um, some of, you know, who you were growing up, you know, before we get into any parts of your story that we'll get into um, and those dynamics, you know, give give the people maybe an idea, you know, behind, you know, who was Daryl um, just growing up as a as a young kid to a teenager? Absolutely. Good question, because. uh I'm a young man who had, who grew up in the city of Detroit. Uh, my mom uh, was on drugs. Uh, my biological father, uh, who is your uncle, yep. um, died when I was in my mother's womb. And uh, that became a struggle and a problem for my mother because she already had three other children yep. uh, to care for from my father. And so uh, my my mother uh, began to use drugs, and uh, when I after I was born, and so my grandmother on my mother's side uh, took custody of me and my uh, brothers and my sister as well, and that began a a series uh, a, a series of uh, bad uh, feelings and and um activities for me uh of course my grandmother was a loving person and i i grew up in a uh christian home with her 
But as a young boy, I always had the burning desire to be able to get connected back with my mother. Always uh, thought about where was she at, uh, what 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 was she doing, what she thinking about me, and so I felt that sense of abandonment. I yeah. felt uh, 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 rejected because a young young kid, uh, five and six years old, or you know, young toddler. Uh, growing up as a teenager, don't understand the complexities of drug abuse and drug addiction and all the isms and schisms of life. And so, right. you know, I, I, I felt wounded, you know, and I felt uh, in a lot of uh, sense alone, you know. And so um, I grew up, uh, had a beautiful relationship uh, with uh, our grandmother, on mm-hmm. on my father's side uh and i remember those days uh very well you know so she tried to express a lot of love my other grandmother tried to express a lot of love but it wasn't enough uh to give me the comfort that i needed yeah and the validation i needed from my mom yeah that you know what that makes sense man and sometimes it's only so much people can do, you know what I mean? They could do what they what they can, but sometimes the void that's missing, especially from a parent, and especially like just going back to like you said, your your father passed when you were in your mother's womb. Now that's interesting to me because, or I want to talk just or ask you a question about that because it's so many perspectives with us, you know what I mean? Like, you know, that was your father, so I, and you never met him. Now, from my perspective, that was my mother's big brother. So anytime she ever talked to him, obviously I never met him, right? But anytime she ever talked about him, like even even as I grew up, even as she's an adult, she had that little sister look in her eyes when she talked about him. Like to from my perspective, he seems like he was a dope guy. Um, and I hate that I never got an opportunity to meet him. But I'm curious, like, do you know, um, you know, did you ever hear stories about your dad? Um, is that something you ever kind of tried to figure out or were interested in? Or was it just kind of like, you know, um, you know, because you, you never met him, it, it was never like a, a huge thing for you? Oh, absolutely. Uh, our grandmother, you know, uh, always uh, kept uh, our father in our, rem- in our memory. Uh, mm-hmm. She always talked about him, my uncles and my aunts. Of course, your mom, who was one of my favorite aunts, mm-hmm. uh, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful lady. Yes, she is. Uh, who instilled so much in me as a young child and gave me, demonstrated so much love. And her, her sisters, her, and uh, her brothers always uh, told us about or told me and the rest of my siblings uh, about our dad. You know, and that was something uh, you you missed something that you never had. Yeah. And, you know, that was like, wow. You know, uh, it, it, it was a precious memory that they created in my mind where he became a heroic figure to me, uh, even though I never met him. You know what? That's amazing, too. And that speak for like, you know, just the impact we all have, like in, you know, you know, how you want people to remember you, you know, they, they did him well, I believe, um, in the way they remembered him. Like you talked about grandma and 
you know, that's another cool dynamic because, you know, from the younger group of the grandkids, you know, and, and some of them might get mad at me, especially Lori. Me and Lori go back and forth on this. Uh, so Lori, whatever, you know, I was her favorite from the younger group. But no, um, no, grand, grandma, really, we had a I had a real close relationship um, with grandma um, up until when she passed. And um, so it, it's just another interesting dynamic to to know that as you were younger, you had that relationship with her. And it's cool because you had a relationship with a younger version of her. And that is like super interesting to me. You know what I'm saying? Because, you know, you you grow up and it's like, for me, by the time I'm born, she grandma and she a little, not old, but a little older. And you view her a certain, a certain way. So I think it's cool just that you had um, that relationship with her um, and your other grandmother, you know, um, who I've never had the opportunity to meet. So, so you, you know, you talk about these dynamics of kind of, you know, that void that, that was there by, by your mother. Um, and, and that's completely understandable. You have your grandmothers that are coming and, and trying to fill in voids as much as they can. Um, and so what, what, what really goes on from there? Like, you know, so you start having these struggles as a young man um, in Detroit, you know, back then. Um, so, so what really happens from there? Oh, a good question. Um, you know, I grew up in an era where, uh, the drug gangs were flourishing in the city of Detroit. You had organizations called the Young Boys Incorporated, the Pony Crew, uh, and the list goes on, the Chamber Brothers, uh, Best Friends, and a number of other groups uh, that were out there. And uh, many of these groups uh, looked for, uh, or in sometimes preyed on young men uh, to be able to recruit into their organizations to be able to sell drugs. Um, I had no identity. I had no purpose. And um, unfortunately, I didn't have the men in my life that I needed to be able to uh, to help shape that for me. Right. And so uh, what happened was that uh, one day I went uh, looking for my mother. Uh, she was in the cast quarters, um, the cast quarters that was like uh, New Jack City is like, you know, uh, a, a neighborhood uh, that you go into uh, where everything is going down. You know, yeah. you have drugs, you have prostitution, uh, you had stealing and killing and all kinds of mayhem going on in the cast quarters. And it was like a, a city within a city. Gotcha. And so my mother was down there, and I so I walked from the west side of Detroit all the way to the cast quarters looking for my mother. Man. And that was a uh, life-altering decision that I made. Uh, when I did that, uh, I ran into – I eventually found my mother. Uh, and because I had followed the route, that my grandmother and my grandfather used to take when they used to drive me down there from the west side, all the way on the west side, off of Grand River, all the way down to the cast quarters. And I, I, I remembered the route, and I walked that route, and I was able to find my mother. And uh, she, she was, like, uh, alarmed that I ran away from home. 
And, but I, I let her know that, you know, I wanted to be with her. I missed her and I loved her. And I didn't care about what she was going through at that time. But, you know, deep inside, you know, every child wants their mom. I don't care what yeah. condition they are in. Yeah, that's true. Especially when you don't have your dad. So that definitely makes sense. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, uh, so, you know, that, that sense of uh, abandonment, uh, not only was with my mom, but it was also uh, with my father as well, because I can really uh, decode what was really going on in my life. And I had no one to help me de- to decode exactly what was going on. Yeah. You know, uh, I just had to, you know, just, you know, be without a mom and a dad and no one really explained to me because they tried to shelter me from the real deal Holyfield, if you would, uh, yeah. you know, the information that I need that probably would have helped me in a sense, in, in some sense. You, and so when I got to the, go ahead, my friend. No, I, I was going to ask you real quick before you finish that part. I'm curious. I never asked anybody this. What was your relationship like with your brothers in particular? Because as you're going through this, were y'all close at all? Like, I don't know. Obviously I know your brothers, you know what I mean? I knew, know them well. Um, and grow, and was around them growing up. Um, but what, like, what were you guys' relationship? And y'all all seem yeah. different, by the way. Like, so now, like, knowing you um, over the last year and kind of just being able to see how you interact, um, you all three of y'all are totally different to me. It's funny. Uh, absolutely, man. Um, I had a real good relationship with my brothers. I, I, I loved them immensely. Uh, but by that time, I ran away both Two of my older brothers had already ran away. Uh, my brother Harold or Juni, uh, named after our mm-hmm. father, and uh, he had already ran away. And at the time, he was, you know, incarcerated. Uh, then my brother Robert, he ran away from home as well, you know. And yeah. so uh, both of them was in the cast quarters, ironically, and they were down there. Um, you know, doing some things that uh, they had no business doing and, and which I end up doing myself. Man. You know, I, I, I connected uh, with a drug organization down there. And when I connected with that drug organization, um, I began to sell drugs throughout the city, uh, different parts of uh, the state and other states. And wow. um, it was something that was, something I deeply regret now, something I don't glorify, something uh, that helped destroy my life and destroy the life, lives of many others. Uh, but I got sucked in into that lifestyle because I was looking for identity and purpose. Yep. Uh, and, and I will keep on reinforcing that. Uh, in this day and age, many of our young people are struggling and they struggling because they lack identity and purpose. Yeah, I, that that is that's a huge um, point. You know, identity and purpose go so far, and when you don't have those, the interesting thing about purpose is like if you don't have purpose, you're gonna find something, and that's why I think it's so important to help guide people to their purpose. That's why this show even exists, is because. Man, when when people don't have that, like, it's going to be replaced with something. 
You know what I mean? And, and, a, and a lot of times it's going to be replaced with something negative, unfortunately. Um, so you, like, what drove you to that? Like, when you were a part of that organization, did they make you feel that sense of family? Like, I know, obviously, you regret it now, and it's something that you don't glorify. But while you were in it, was it something that always almost gave you, like, a sense of pride or appreciation or acceptance um, at all? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, uh, gave me validation, gave me a sense of belonging. It gave me a sense of family and brotherhood and also, uh, was able to expose me to some of the material things that I wanted, you know, growing up, my, my grandmother, she had 11 children. Uh, my mother had five children and other children that was coming in and out of our home. So it was a lot of people there. Yeah. And so that was a lot of miles to be fed and a lot of bodies to be clothed. Right. And so, you know, that, that, that was the issue. And sometimes I had to, you know, and a lot of times, I ain't going to say sometimes, mm -hmm. a lot of times we shopped at the Goodwill. Right. Uh, we shopped at the Goodwill. We had Focus Hope Tees uh, and all of that, you know. And, the cheese was good. You know, the, uh, the, the cheese was good. It just didn't melt. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> it take two days to grill it, but but it was good cheese. <laughs> right. No, no, right. I feel that. Yeah, so, all right, yeah, so, you, so you go ahead. No, you go ahead, Doc. No, no, I was just going to say, so, you you know, you're a part of that organization. You know, you feeling this sense of um, acceptance and, and all of those things. And like you said, I think that's a huge point for us just to think about as it relates to whether it's um, our own children or children in our families and in our lives is like when you see a child that doesn't have purpose or not just a young kid, a teenager, young adult that doesn't have purpose and identity, man, we need to do what we can and make those attempts to, to point them in the right direction. Cause I would imagine at the same time, right. You know, the bad stuff is so easily accessible. It's like a lot of times, even if a kid is looking for something good to get into, it's not as easy to find good as it is to find bad. And, you know, thinking about churches and things, we need to be accepting of people who are coming off the streets and who have stories and bad past because the world is going to accept them. Those drug organizations and gangs, they accept people freely. You know what I'm saying? Um, so that's just something I want people to think about. Uh, that's a good point. That is an absolute good point. Uh, because uh, a lot of our young people, they just crying out. Yeah. And that's what I was doing, really. I was crying out. You know, I didn't have a clue what I was getting into. I didn't really have a good understanding um, what I was about to, what, what was about to occur in, in my life. You know, but, you know, uh, I was look, looking at uh, the pipe dreams and yeah. focusing on the wrong things and Again, we need, I believe this, every man need a man in his life. Yep. You know, every man need a man in his life. And, and, in fact, every man need at least three men in his life. Yeah. <laughs> uh, someone who can mentor him, someone he can mentor, and someone he can walk with and fellowship with. I like you know? that. And uh, I didn't have that. I, You know, I had people around me, men around me, but I didn't have no one to really mentor me because it was just too many of us there. Yeah. And people, uh, when you know better, you do better. 
you know, yep. uh, and I, 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 I struggle with that, man, you know, and a lot of folks, a lot of young people, a lot of young men in particular uh, uh, are missing that right now. We need someone who's going to uh, wrap our arms around our young men and and let them know that they love in a uh, a way where it's not going to be harmful towards them or whatever. Yeah, no, I totally agree, man. And I like the way you broke that down as far as the three men we need in our lives. And it makes a difference, man. And and it is obviously, you know, so many women step up to the plate, like what happened in your life. Um, but that void, you know, for a young man, you know, there's just certain things that, you know, just like there are certain things only a mother can provide, right? Um, a father right. or father figure. There's there's a huge purpose behind these the different uh relationships between a mother and a father and their child. So that those are definitely important. So for you, you know, you find your mother and then, you know, you're involved in this um these organizations. Now, at this time when you find your mother, you were living down there now with her because you kinda said you ran away, you kinda left your grand uh, parents and moved down which are where your mother was at or was it just something where you found her and you were visiting uh i ran away i ran away uh and i i ran and it's ironic that i ran for a, a house where it was nice you know where we had food we had running water we had all of those type of amenities and i ran into the slums <laughs> you know wow. because the cast quarters is the slum yeah and so and but I found I found validation there, and so I I absolutely ran away. And I to start off when I got down there, I began to sell a marijuana joints, you know, and uh, I had seen my brothers and them sell marijuana, some of my cousins, and you know, um, I sold these sold these joints and and eventually flipped that and got me like a dime bag and got me a $20 bag. Then I got me a half ounce then I got an ounce and then kept on building it up. And then I connected with a organization that was doing multi-million dollars in heroin sales. And so, uh, we, uh, they, they brought me in. I was just like a person who was, uh, the lookout guy. They actually was selling heroin because, right across the street from the police department on Garfield what? and Woodward. You, you can look and see the uh, police department right there. And wow. the traffic in this building was uh, out of this world, sometimes, you know, wrapped around the corners on certain days. That's crazy. And so it was, uh, it was, it was a crazy, crazy operation down there. <laughs> they was selling drugs across the street from the police. That's crazy than the must. So, like, for you, like you said, you went down there, you didn't really know what you were getting into. Um, and obviously, you know, growing up in Detroit, you know, I always say, like, Detroit, man, it's a rough place, you know, because a lot of times Detroit makes you make a choice. And I remember having to make this choice growing up myself of, like, who you're going to be. Um, wow. Because it's like, like, when I was in middle school, gang started getting crazy like it was just crazy the stuff that was happening when i think back at on it, i'm like how was these type of fights happening in middle school like we was kids but it was so crazy and me and my best friend you know we were two kids that had grew up in church 
But the gangs mm-hmm. were like starting to be taking over so much that we really had to sit down. We literally sat down and had a conversation like, you know, do you want to get jumped in the game? Because we were just really thinking about trying to survive. I remember having a thought of like, okay, do I get a gun just to protect myself? And the only reason I didn't get a gun is because I didn't know where I could keep it in my house. Um, and so the Detroit, not that other cities don't do that, but Detroit is a rough place that it makes you make those type of decisions at an early age. And you're talking about somebody like me who had parents in the household. Um, so I can only imagine for people, it's a lot tougher when you don't have that structure. Um, so yeah, so you, you know, you had to make some of those, some of those tough decisions being in those organizations. I'm curious, like, were you scared at all when you were young and being involved in that, or did you just adapt? Um, for the most part, I adapted because I knew a lot of people originally, uh, but it was very dangerous. And so as we uh, moved in different territories, no, I was I, I was afraid, you know, yeah. and I, I did I did carry weapons on me, and, and this organization had a lot of, artillery Man. you know uh to you know uh, they had guns up the wazoo they you know the have probably more guns than the police department Man. you know um and so it was it was a well or machine but back then it wasn't about uh the beefs that you see today you know it was really more so about business than it was about wow. uh, uh gang banging and okay. all of that type of stuff Right, got you. So it was more so just, hey, protecting yourself, considering the industry you in, but people were really trying to make money um, and trying to, trying to you know, do whatever they could for that, more so than the violence side of it. That makes sense. Um, so as your story pro- progresses from there, you know, what, what kind of starts to happen in your life now that you are part, part of this organization? Well, uh, this, is, this is the picture right here. Um, 13, I run away from home, hit the cast quarters, joined this drug organization. 14, I get shot uh, standing on the corner uh, selling drugs on Finkel and Sorrento. Uh, Someone was about to come shoot me in the back of my head, and um, I had a prompting. I used to say something told me to turn Mm -hmm. around, but I know now it was the Holy Spirit that caused me to turn around. Uh, the ironic thing was after I ran away from home, I would go visit my grandmother from time to time, both of my grandmothers. Mm-hmm. And they had prayer all over me, man. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, my grandmother, I remember this very vividly. My grandmother on my uh, mother's side, I went over to her home one day and I snuck in there and tried to sneak out. And she, she saw me and she grabbed me and she prayed over me. Man. I'll never forget that. You know, uh, I left out of there, and when I left, uh, not too long later, uh, I get shot. I get shot uh, uh, with a sawed-off shotgun. Uh, My body spent in such a way when the guy was about to shoot me in the back of the head, it spent in such a way because I felt uh, the presence behind me, an evil presence. I turn around. And the guy, I started the guy, he get one off. My body spent in a way where I got the full impact in my arm. 
Uh, and when that happened, um, it was like I was about to hit, the, you know, fall and hit the ground. Then, quote, unquote, something grabbed me by the jacket that I was wearing and lifted me up. And I kind of wow. like floated into the restaurant across the street from where I got stopped from the store. And inside that store was a man, a cab driver, who <laughs> drove me to the hospital. When I got to the hospital, uh, they told me that I was going to lose my arm. That wow. same grandmother who was trying to uh, speak life into me and to try to teach me the best that she knew how came up to the hospital and I told her, I said, they they said I'm going to lose my arm. And she said, you're not going to lose your arm. She whipped out some anointing oil and prayed over me. Wow. <laughs> wow. And, uh, and, and my, I stayed in the hospital 30 days. My arm was saved. Um, you would have thought that would have got my attention, but you know, it did get my attention, but it didn't get it good enough. Yeah. You know I, what? That's, I end up not to cut you off, but that, that right there, here's what I want to say to that. You know, whenever people come on this show and tell, um, these testimonies and, and tell their story, what I'm always amazed at is there's always a person, you know, for you, it was a cab driver. There's always like that person that God places somewhere to preserve the life of of his people. And it's like even even before we're saved, God has a plan for us. And I think that's what we don't realize sometimes because the word says that he knew us before we were in our mother's womb. And so I just think it's amazing and I always try to make sure the people who listen to this show realize that in a story like this it's similar to the story of you know when Jesus did the miracle with the two fish and five loaves he took a young boy's lunch and I think what people don't realize is like we don't know the boy's name the boy never really gets credit but there's mm. always that person that cab driver and I say that to say be that person to anybody listening it's not always about when you hear these stories that you might not have the same experience as the person who's going through the deep testimony, but maybe you're going to play that part. You're the cab driver that drives someone. Cause if that cab driver doesn't do his part, the rest of this doesn't come together either. So I just wanted to say that that is so important and it's so amazing to me how God has a way of putting those people in a proper place at the proper time. That's powerful there, man, because that's, that's a, Good Samaritan. I never knew his name. I <laughs> can't even tell you how he looked Man. right now. But he served as that good Samaritan. And that's the only thing you said right now. Be that good Samaritan. Yeah. Be sensitive to the spirit to be able to help when God say help. You know, because uh, we are the hands and the feet and the mouth of God here on earth. So I love that, man. That was a powerful point. Amen. All right, so now, so you in the, you in the hospital, your grandma comes in there and, and she anoints your arm and say you're not losing it and pray, and 30 days later, your arm is saved. And so now what? Like you said, it, it didn't get your attention as much as it should have. It did, but it didn't. Um, you know, now kind of what happens with you, you know, when really you almost lost your life um, had he caught you from, you know, behind the way he wanted to. I, I transitioned from... Um... Uh, I when I left the hospital, I was supposed to left the the next day, but I left the day before. I left the day before because I knew that 
uh, my grandmother probably was going to have me placed into the juvenile system to try to get my attention because I was incorrigible. I was wayward. And so I I got wind of it and I, and I made the great escape from the hospital and, and, um, uh, got with my, my guys, my guys came to pick me up and, uh, we left. And so I kind of transitioned from, um, selling drugs, uh, on the streets and began to, get more into the, like the quote unquote front office, if you would, I would okay. uh, pick up the money and I would drop off the drugs and, um, and I began to build uh, a reputation in the, in the drug culture. I ended up uh, doing that and I was making a, uh, a drop in Ypsilanti and where I got pulled over by the state police and they arrested me, put me in juvenile. Uh, you would have thought that would have got my attention. And how old were you at this time? Uh, at this time, I'm a little over 14 years old at this time. And wow. I got caught with a substantial amount of drugs. So they remanded me to the custody of the juvenile. Wouldn't give me a bond or anything. And uh, we kind of like made some news there based upon the amount of drugs that I was bringing up there. Um, I literally escaped from juvenile. Uh, I escaped from juvenile. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, um, and, uh, it was, I, I'll never forget. It was, a, it was a grand escape. You know, we were, uh, uh, with, uh, a number of people who were on like, uh, high security in the juvenile, several of them. Yeah. They had me housed with those guys. And uh, so we couldn't even really go outside. We couldn't really do a lot of things that the other people were doing or the youngsters was doing inside the juvenile based upon uh, the kind of cases that we had. I only, I only had, got caught with a lot of drugs. I was in there with guys who had, you know, homicide cases and other cases. Oh, wow. And so, um, you know, put together a plan and, uh, and end up escaping. Escaped there. Uh, and, uh, went back to the city of Detroit. Uh, I was in Ann Arbor. I, I escaped from Ann Arbor, uh, uh, a place called Platte Road. We was on Platte Road. Wow. And so once I got back to the city of Detroit, um, was able to continue on in the drug business. Um, I began to. Uh, do uh, sell drugs in Pontiac and other cities, uh, and just doing a lot of things in that particular area. And it was it was a crazy situation because deep inside, that is something I really didn't want to do. Mm-hmm. The really thing, when I really reflect upon it, because is the the thing I really wanted for myself was to be successful, right? Gotcha. Uh, and to you know and the image of success to me was the drug dealers in the uh, community. Right. You know, and so I didn't know how to be successful uh, uh, in the business world because I never was exposed to that. Yeah. I, I didn't know how uh, 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 corporations ran or businesses ran. I didn't know uh, how to put together a landscape, landscape business or any other kind of business, if yeah. you would, you know, uh, so I became a byproduct of of my surroundings, you yeah. know, and so I was stuck in that. And so once I uh, uh, 
continue on, I ended up getting my son's mother pregnant when I was 15. I had a child when I was 16. I got my daughter's mother pregnant when I was 16, had another child. Uh, My daughter was born when I was 17. Wow. And then at the age of 18, I was 18 years old in one month, uh, I found myself uh, participating in a drug transaction uh, at a home on the east side. Uh, Chaos breaks out in the house. Uh, Someone shoots the guy in the house. And I find myself facing life without the possibility of parole. Man. At 18 years old? At 18 years old in one month. Man, so you'll be, you were 17, going on 18, two kids, and a transaction goes wrong, and now you're facing, you say, 30 years? No, life without the possibility of oh, parole. Oh, facing life without, wow. Without the possibility of parole. Man, okay, Absolutely. I mean, so that, look, that that right there, you know, you know, and, and, and the crazy thing, you know, for me is like, obviously I never, this is the first time we talked this in depth. So like, I didn't know all of these nuances to how you grew up in, uh, so the, some of the different dynamics, especially with you being so young. But now that you get to that point, you know, you could take it wherever you want really from there. Um, that now that you, you can it kind of all comes up to this, this huge crash, if you will. Um, and so, and so where, where does your life go from this point facing that? Like, um, you know, I, what I'm really curious about as we start and we don't have to get to that part yet, but eventually we're going to get to like how you how you get to where you are now. It's almost like a movie for me right now because it's like I know and I see who you are today. And it's like amazing to me, like, wow, the things that that sometimes we all have to go through um, and some more than others to get to where um, you ultimately are. So so at this point, as everything is crashed, you know, not like what next? What What is the next chapter for you? at that point in your life? I'm rock bottom now. Uh, I, I I was getting arrested. You, you, I told you before, I escaped from juvenile. I got arrested after then under an aliases and was able to get out on bond. I had situations where I was let go out of jail when I got caught uh, dirt in, in the dirt. Yeah. And uh, But this time, I find myself in a Wayne County jail without a bond. Uh, go to trial, uh, me and my co-defendant, which was my little cousin. Um, he was 17. I was 18. Mm -hmm. We go to this, we go to trial and, you know, we didn't do the actual crime. We was innocent of the crime itself. Yeah. Uh, but guilty for the lifestyle that we live. Right. Uh, participating in all types of nefarious things, put ourselves in a situation where we in this we in this house and all this hell breaking loose. Yeah. And all this stuff happened in a whole different room. We didn't have a clue what was going on. But because we were there and participating in some of the activities there and didn't uh uh give any information to uh the police concerning this or to the uh uh didn't testify against anyone yeah. uh, because we really didn't have information to share. Uh uh they uh Took us to trial, 
uh, found us guilty as being aiders and abettors of a a homicide, uh, and we eventually get sentenced. We weren't only facing life without the possibility of parole, but we were sentenced to life without the possibility of parole. They told us that we was going to die in prison. Uh, and it's something I call uh, death while incarcerated, you know, uh, and and we was condemned with that ultimate uh, sentence and that ultimate judgment. That that is like, you know, for me, it's like when you hit rock bottom like that. I'm not even seeing like <laughs> I know who you are today and I'm <laughs> I'm so curious to see, like, how do we get here? Because it seems like that right there is enough to mentally cause somebody to just check out. You know what I'm saying? Like you can just get to the point where it's just like, I'm, I'm over it, you know? And so that, that is such a tough thing. Now I, I, there is something that I heard before I heard this. I I don't know if my mother told me, I don't even remember it all the way, but it was something about grandma when you were in the, something happened where did she get up in the courtroom? Absolutely. And I was about to tell you that that was, I'm glad we on we on one accord here. <laughs> right. Okay. What happened was when I got found guilty, uh, the uh, the family was in the courtroom. Uh, definitely, our grandmother was in the courtroom, and a number of uh, people was in the courtroom. It was kind of packed out. So when they found me guilty, it was chaos in the courtroom. Mm-hmm. People were screaming. People was running outside the uh, door uh, and the deputies was trying to maintain order. But one thing happened in that courtroom and I I will show you the pages. I will take pictures of the pages of what happened uh, in the transcripts. Grandma yelled out in the courtroom and said, God is God all by himself. Wow. Don't give up, son. Prayer changes things. Wow. So in the midst of all of the chaos that was going on, she had the audacity to prophesy in the courtroom to speak. And if she spoke so clearly that the court reporter transcribed what she had to say, regardless of all the all the other commotion that was going on. So what she so, said made the court transcripts that that right there is so dope to me and obviously knowing her and like i said i was really close with her um she always i was so close to her it was just funny because she always would look out for me no matter what (laughs) like she would tell man somebody else that somebody be trying to borrow money she'd be like i ain't got nothing and then they turn around and leave out man she would put ten dollars in my pocket so easy (laughs) it was so funny she did that all the time um, but but yeah. also just knowing, like you said, having a praying grandmother, someone who loved God and was bold. Like that's that's what I get, you know, from that is like she was so bold and like you have to be bold to have faith. And that that's something that even I lose track sometimes of like faith takes a boldness in the midst of a guilty charge. Life without the possibility of parole and you in that moment, you might as well stand up at the fiery furnace at that point and just, you know, uh, that, so yeah. that's amazing. No, that's amazing. 
But watch this. While she was blessing me, I was cussing everybody out in the courtroom. Wow. I cussed the jury out. I cussed the judge out. I cussed the prosecutor <laughs> out, and I was using some real vulgar yeah. language. Yeah, you cussed them out for and, real. And I cussed them out for real, for real. And <sighs> so even in the midst of that, she still spoke a yeah. word in that place, and and it literally sealed the courtroom. Wow. You know? And so I didn't, I didn't know what she said at that time. Yeah. You know, I was in a hopeless state. Because I know when they found me guilty that I was going to get the ultimate um, sentence, which was life without the possibility of parole. And so it was like when I got to the prison, I'm hopeless. I'm, I'm dejected. I'm feeling bad. Uh, I have now put myself in a position to abandon my children, um, put my children in the same situation that I was put in as a youngster. And so uh, my mother, she had got off drugs, she got her life together, and she was there every day in the courtroom. Uh, she had my back during this trial, you know, and so she became a heroic figure to me, and I really didn't get a chance to enjoy life with her in her sober years out on the outside. Yeah. And so now I know this crushing her, you know, so it's crushing both of my grandmothers. And so when I get to the uh, prison, end up, uh, you know, uh, filing for appeal, ordered the transcripts, and I had hundreds of transcripts. And when I'm looking at the transcripts, you see nothing but judgment, 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 condemnation, and a bad picture, right? Yeah. But it was when I read the transcripts of our grandmother prophesying in that uh, courtroom where it really, it was like the Holy Ghost just jumped up in me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I had the audacity to believe the words that she spoke out of her mouth. Wow. You know, and, th and that was the thing that gave me hope uh, throughout my entire incarceration. Wow. And I, I was incarcerated uh, you know, uh, it took me years and years and years. I did 28 years in 11 months. Man. 28 years in 11 months with a with a, a death uh, why incarcerated sentence over my head. Condemned to death in, in the natural. Man. But those words that she spoke uh, really ignited a fire in me. I began to study the word. I began to pray. I began to come from among them. I began to really, really open my spirit up to the voice of God and to the leading of the Lord. And and the Lord just did something great on the inside of me, first and foremost. Yeah. Wow. So so how, you know, you you obviously you you got the words of our grandmother that inspire you in prison and you, like you said, you have the audacity to believe them. And then you start making these changes to your life. Like, what was that like? Like, you know what I mean? Like you, you reading the word now, like you give your life to Christ in prison. Like what was that transition 
transition like for you under those conditions? And and obviously I know that, you know, I don't know how prison ministry or things like that might have impacted your story, but obviously I know prison ministries exist. And so I'm just curious, like if you could paint a picture um, at least as much as you want to for like people like what does salvation from the inside of a prison look like and how you start to be involved in, in whatever ministries or, or things like that? Was that a quick process for you or was it something you kind of worked up to or, you know, just just kind of tell us what what that looks like. And I think the reason I'm asking that is because, you know, sometimes we don't realize that salvation is for anyone. <laughs> You know, it don't it don't matter where you at. Like that's the that's the power of God. And, and it doesn't always look like, um, you know, going to a, a big church and, and walking to the front and having an altar call because uh, in some countries they don't have that in prison. They might not have it. And, you know, if a soldier is in war and, and, and get saved, you know, why they're you know, uh, why they're on um, some mission or or something like that, you know, assignment. So I'm just curious from your perspective, what what was salvation? What did that look like in, in starting to make that process, that, that change for you, transition? That's another great question. What happened for me was I was an eighth grade dropout. And so I began to read the Bible and study the Bible. And, and the Bible literally helped me learn how to read. <laughs> wow. You know, uh, I, I, I definitely got the word down on the inside. You, the scripture says the word of God is powerful and is sharper than any two-edged sword. Yeah. You know, no doubt about that. That word began to minister to me, uh, and I just re- began to read from Genesis to Revelation, and like I always say, from Revelation to Genesis and from Genesis to Revelation. Mm-hmm. And I studied to show myself approved unto God, first and foremost, because mm-hmm. I had nothing to prove to nobody. I, I, you know, back in the day when I was selling drugs, I was trying to impress the girls with the nice clothes, uh, uh, with the good cars and, yeah. and, and the money and all that type of stuff. But I ain't had nobody to impress up in there. Yeah. Yeah. I had nobody to impress. And so I literally came to myself while in prison. Um, my grandmother, uh, both of my grandmothers and even your mother, you know, they used to take me to church all the time. So when I'm I'm on my uh, mother's side, I'm going to Grady Grace Temple. We grew up there uh, under the leadership of Bishop David L. Ellis. I looked at him as a heroic figure. You know, he was a a, a picture and an image of someone that I uh, respected and regarded even as a child. Mm-hmm. You know, and so uh, uh, when I come over on, on the east side, uh, we're going to – uh, Elerton, uh Baptist Church right there on Georgia. Uh, uh, your mama would take me, and we'd go there. Uh, and, and I would also uh, uh, spend summers on, on, on the, uh, uh, over our grandmother's house, and I learned a lot from your dad, uh, who was a, a very wonderful guy. Uh, I used to go on free press routes with him, man, and it was, it was tremendous. Uh, I, I used to learn a work ethic from him. But that's what I needed in my life constantly, and so. But so I had a sense of 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 religion. I had a form of godliness, yeah. you know. I had some picture of it, but I knew I just had to go to church when I got got on the inside. I, you know, and I had to make a decision: was I going to continue to hang around this crew inside prison, 
that was still selling drugs on the inside, that was still doing all the negative stuff on the inside, uh, or was I going to make a decision and go back to that thing in which both of my grandmothers taught me about, the power of prayer and the power of God? I love that because, you know, it's kind of like we said, I said this earlier, you know, Detroit um, puts you in a, in a position to make a decision at an early age. The beautiful thing about it is regardless um, of how many bad decisions we, any of us might have made, you know, when you're still alive and you're breathing on this earth, there's an opportunity to make a better decision. And so what the beauty of that was that, that I hear in this part of your story is that, you know, you have made some bad decisions, right? But, and, and it puts you in the worst place, um, even though you weren't even guilty of the thing, the reason you were there. Um, but you still had an opportunity to make a choice. And for anybody who's listening, like, I, I want them to not miss that. Like, no matter where you at in your life, it, some things might be your fault and you might have to admit some wrongs. But if you are hearing this show, you are alive, which means you have an opportunity to make a better decision. And I just thank God for that because, you know, it, you know, not not every bad decision is as extreme or or as bad enough to put somebody in in prison or juvenile home but just decisions we make every day in relationships and and all type of things and you know the things you were dealing with those are decisions we still have to make every day do I want to be around these people or do I want to change my my crowd so no that 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 is an amazing thing that you so you were able to make the decision to change your surroundings while in prison. Absolutely. Absolutely. When I when I when I made that decision, it wasn't in a, a condemning way, but it was something that was right for me. Uh I I I, I wished everybody well. Uh I showed them love when I can show them love, but I needed to do something different. Yeah. And because a, a lot of folks had that prison mentality. A lot of folks uh, was addicted to their own misery. Yeah. Folks been there 10, 15 years doing the same thing. Some of them never had a GED, didn't even have a GED at the time. Yeah. Uh, they, they, you know, just, just walking around in a circle, hopeless. And yeah. I didn't want that for me. Yeah, you know, I feel that. I, 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 I felt that I had some value. I felt uh, that I had hope, and I, I felt that God was going to do something special in my life. And so I had to change my thinking. As a as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. We know that. Yeah. You know, uh and, and the the scripture says, uh, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things have good report, think on these things. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I like that. And so but folks <laughs> folks were stuck in their misery, man. And I didn't want that, man. I, I, I said, I got to do something different. I got to change my thinking. I got to change my words. I got to start feeding my face so I can starve my doubts to death, you know, yeah, and man. I can take off this doom and gloom. And and, and I, I in that place, I never called myself a prisoner. I never called myself an inmate. Ooh. You know, my hey. grandmother Ooh, told me crazy. I was a child of God. <laughs> and you and look, this is the crazy thing. Look, man, I look, I'm I'm for real. Like you get me so hyped because I'm like, yep, 
I'm just hearing how you talking like, yeah, yeah, this my cousin. We family all day long, bro. Because you get in that situation and, and here's the reality of it. It's so easy. The crazy thing is it would have been a lot easier for you to view yourself as a prisoner and to be hopeless than to have faith. But in that moment, to it, it is super inspiring to me to hear somebody say that I'm in prison with a life sentence without the chance of parole, but I have hope. And that's partially because of some words that my grandmother said, by the grace of God, but also the fact that now I'm starting to go down this path of getting to know the Lord for myself, like you said, not having anything to prove to anyone. But in the midst of your darkest moment, having faith, that that is just, for me, that's amazing. So like, walk us through a little bit now, like life as a believer now. So, you know, now you are saved, you've made these decisions, like you said, not in a condemning way, but in a matter of fact way for yourself to be a believer and you walking down this path, but you did, you know, 28 years and 11 months. So how does someone, I can see how you have faith for a week. I can see how you've had faith for the first year. <laughs> Walk me through how do you keep the faith for 28 years and 11 months to the point that I'm, on, you know, talking to you right now for this interview. How does that happen? Well, it's just like what we're going through right now. Um, yeah. Uh, th this this world is going through a lot right now, in particularly the United States of America. Mm -hmm. You know, um, a lot of people are afraid, but there's a lot of people who who has their eyes on the prize. It says, "Look unto Jesus, who is the author and the finisher yeah. of our faith." Amen. So, I, I I put myself in a position to just let it go. <laughs> you know, yeah. with, so. So the sentence that they gave me could do me no harm if I said, okay, Lord, it's in your hand. Man. Ain't nothing I can do about it. Yeah. I'm putting everything in your hands and I'm trusting you. And so that's a let go and let God moment for real, for real. It's not a cliche. Yeah, no, that's real life. But this is something that you really, really have to practice and you have to do. And what Paul said, what? I die daily. Every so day. every day I'm confronted with these bars. I'm confronted with this steel bunk. I'm confronted with this steel toilet. I'm confronted with seeing people get stabbed. I'm confronted with people uh, committing suicide. I'm com confronted with all type of illicit things in there. You know, but I had to rise above that and continue to look to Jesus. And Man. so uh, I, I told somebody this. I did a prayer line for my good friend. Pastor Spencer Ellis on last week, and I told him this, and um, and this is something happened, and I and I get to this point right here. While I was there, I ended up losing my mother. Mm -hmm. My mother died in there. I wasn't able to go to her funeral. I yeah. wasn't able to say goodbye. I wasn't able to give her a kiss. I wasn't able to comfort her while she was going through the agony that she was going through in terms of making her transition. Man. But at the funeral service of my mother, uh, Bishop uh, Marvin Winans made a statement. Uh, she had a funeral at Greater Grace. Bishop Charles Ellis did the funeral, but Bishop Winans came in and spoke some words and said this. 
He said, in these times, we must believe what it is that we say we believe. <laughs> this happened in 1994. Wow. And so I, 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 w- I was able. I was blessed with the opportunity where the warden allowed me to get the audio tape of my mother's wow. print. Wow! So that's how you, you know, heard those words. Absolutely. And so you hear we talking right now. It's, it's 2020 right now, man. And I'm still making that statement. Uh, and I made that statement every year since I heard it. In these times, we must believe what it is we say we believe. Amen. That, the so, Bible ooh. asks us this question, whose report will you, you believe? believe. <laughs> yeah. And see, like, I'm going to say something, man, that, that it seems like the Lord has gifted you with in your faith. And I think sometimes, you know, we don't allow, it's not that God ain't, ain't speaking, it's that we don't allow ourselves to hear what he's saying or receive it. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I, I told, you know, the audience uh, maybe three or four weeks ago, I did a, um, a episode about being flammable. And it's like when, when something is flammable, you can't let fire get nowhere near it. <laughs> like you got to keep it completely away from it because it's so sensitive to the flames that it's going to catch on fire too. And I'm saying that to say for someone like you, I believe that like God, like that we're able to have faith that's flammable in that way. That's like, it seems like with you, if somebody get anywhere near you with faith, it's going to attach to you and you, you believe it. And you, it's like, Oh, grandma stand up in the courtroom and say something. You like, Oh, you reading it through the transcript. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. Pastor Marvin Wine and say something at your mama funeral, you wasn't even there. You hearing it on the audio. And so that is just amazing to me that you are latching on to faith in this way where somebody else could have listened to that audio and not paid anything attention. And I tell people all the time, one of the most powerful things you could do is say something to someone that they will never forget. And a lot of times we don't realize that every single time you're talking, you have that opportunity to say something to someone that they will never forget. And that's what happened in those situations. Pastor Marvin Winans probably ain't thinking about that day um, at all, but he said something that day that someone else has said every year. So, no, I think that's amazing. Oh, yeah, that's that. It, it was it was it was powerful moment, man something that exploded in my spirit but uh again i lost my mom i lost our we lost our grandmother yeah i couldn't go to her funeral i lost my other grandmother couldn't go to her funeral um lost our pizza lost our uncle walk yeah uh lost other uncles on my mother's side and uh aunts on the uh on my mother's side and cousins and all kinds of family members yeah and the only thing I had was a praise, man. You know, that's the only thing that I, I that I had. That was my chief weapon. I had to praise uh, my way through grief. Man. I had to praise my way uh, through the trials and the tribulations. 
I had got my case denied in every court in the land, from the lower court to the federal court to the United States Supreme Court. I had got my case denied by Governor Granholm three times. Wow. You know, um, and year after year after year, I still had to recognize the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. That is... Because the key thing here, cuz, watch this. The key thing is this. I wasn't praising God to get out of prison. (laughs) Woo! What? So so I ain't had no problem with God. Oh, my God. Because I still recognize him as being God, even though I was locked up. That is amazing. You weren't even praising him with the ultimatum of get me out of here and I keep serving you or, you know what I mean? Like, man, that, listen, (laughs) that right there, that's something that I'll remember because I think so many times we approach God in faith in, in our prayers and like, if you do this for me. But to be able to say, no, I'm not even praising him. Uh, that ain't that ain't why I'm praising him. He God regardless of my situation. That is amazing. So you there talked you about you talked about your your case got denied so many times. Like so, again, like what what started to change for that? Like how do you get to the point where um, you've kind of explained to us you were praising God. We know how you were keeping your spirits high, but as it's getting denied each time. You know, what what changes about your approach the next time? Or how did you start getting some traction behind your case? Because from what I've heard, you know, and I don't know for sure, but from what I've heard, um, just talking to my mom and stuff, it um, and my mom being one of those people that, um, you know, you just had so many people that stuck by your side. And, and it seemed like you started getting an increasing amount of people, like uncanny people were vouching for you. And I'm just, for me, it's intriguing, like, how does a guy build this reputation in prison? Well, it's the, the anointing makes a difference. <laughs> yeah. the, 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 it ain't no if and but the body, man. It, I, I'm not that special, man. I ain't that deep. I feel you. I ain't you. that good. <laughs> I feel you. You know, uh, the fact of the matter is, this is how the transition uh, occurred. And I was positioned for transition. Amen. And so, what happened was uh, Bishop Charles Ellis came up to the prison. Uh, we have maintained a relationship. Uh, after his father died, he took on um, the leadership role at Greater Grace Temple. Yeah. Uh, he he started. We continued to uh, write each other. He would come up to the prison where before he was a bishop, when he was just pastor. Uh, Charles Ellis, Elder Charles Ellis, and he'd come up to the prison do revivals for us and preach and then he built up in stature became the presiding bishop of the Pentecostal seminaries of the world so it got a little difficult in getting him in the prison to come do ministry mm-hmm. and so we got him in, uh, to come in and you know I kind of put a word out there like look man if you don't come in here they're going to have a riot right. you know <laughs> uh, but he was he, he took time out man traveling the world but he took time out this time because I believe that God uh, positioned him for this specific time. Yeah. He comes in the end of uh, 2017. 
come in the end of 2017, um, come do a revival. It's gang bangers all in the gym. There's all kind of folks in the gym, people of different religions in the gym. It's packed out. He bring in about 40 members. Yeah. And he came in, man, and preached a word in that prison, man. Wow. Uh, uh, he came out of Isaiah uh, uh, when he was dealing with King Gazai, you know, and he 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 tore that fucker up, <laughs> yeah. man. Folks were literally on the floor crying. Wow. They was crying, gang bangers on the floor crying, gang bangers uh, asking, "What must I do to be saved?" Game bangers getting baptized. Uh, he baptized 18 people in the name of Jesus on that one day, that same wow. day. In the midst of that, he calls me to the front of the gym, and he told everybody in the gym, look, his time is up. He <laughs> said, I know y'all love this brother. I know y'all love all the things that he, he's doing and all that stuff. He's been a blessing to you, you all, but he's coming out. Wow. And then he laid hands on me, prayed over me, kissed me on my cheek inside of men's prison. Wow. You know, I'm like, dude, man. You know <laughs> like, bro. <laughs> yeah. I feel you. But it was, it, he was under the unction of the Holy Ghost, man. Yeah. And, and I don't even think he really knew what he was saying. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, but it was. It was a mantle on him, man, that I had never seen him. I had seen him preach plenty of times. Yeah. And so that's another time where I held on to that word. Yeah. Even in the hopeless situation that I, that it seemed I was in. Yeah. And the key word seemed. Seemed. Now, yep. I was, I had to go to, and when I left there, the plan was, okay, we're going to file a commutation. But now the person who is who's in office is Governor Rick Snyder, who is a Republican. Yeah. And who was accused of poisoning people during the Flint water crisis. Right. So if the world look at this, they like no way, no how that this man is going to commute this man's sentence. Exactly. Especially after you already have been through so many other denials. Absolutely. And then in a commentation is very rare. Period, point blank. Yeah. It's hard to get. Thousands were filed when I filed mine. Thousands. Wow. And thousands were denied. Wow. And I watched every last one of them get denied. But going back to uh, what, you would, what, what you were referring, referring to, the favor of God was upon me. Mm-hmm. By that time, I'm, I'm, I'm ministering in the services. I'm over the church services. I have great relationships with pastors and leaders. And some of those pastors were uh, pastors like Pastor Kenneth Flowers, Bishop Edgar Van, Pastor uh, Charles Christian Adams. Those were my guys. And certainly yeah. my pastor, Bishop Charles Ellis. Uh, those men uh, um, really, really uh allow the lord to use them to go speak to the king man yeah they went to governor snyder for two years straight uh uh and began to bring my name before him mm-hmm. and so after the bishop prophesied it was like okay 
I watched people file their commentations, and everyone, every last one of them was denied. Yeah. By that time, I, for years, I have been over the NAACP at the facility. I, I worked with judges. I worked with uh, some assistant prosecutors, and I, I worked with all kind of folks, man. I worked yeah. uh, with college professors, uh, business leaders, and uh, uh, folks from everywhere, man. And, and, and it, it, it was what I did, yeah. you know. And it was a service to the community. It was a service to the people on the inside. It was a service to the people on the outside. But I was committed to it. I was married to it because I found identity and purpose. That that doesn't, you know why this doesn't surprise me? It's so interesting, man. Like, I have a, a huge, um, I'm just very much intrigued about family and um just the psychology of family and just how genetics and just DNA, like how you have so much in common with people and things. And like, when I hear you, even when you talked earlier about, you know, the reason why you were in the drug game and you kind of talked about moving your way up, so to say, and you said like, I didn't have any business knowledge or know how to do those things, but I knew I wanted to be successful and I knew I wanted purpose and identity. And when I look at that, it's like even to hear you in prison and and that's kind of what my mom had told me about you is like you had knew all of these like really big time people that even people who out here just free and, you know, doing whatever, don't get these opportunities to be able to rub shoulders with some of the individuals that you were meeting and and building relationships with. It doesn't surprise me. Um, just being first cousins, like it don't surprise me at all that you would have that mentality. That's like that's exactly how I am. It's like you just want purpose, you want identity, you 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 know what you know. It's almost like when you know that God has something greater for me for you, you don't stop. Like people, a lot of times they'll ask me because I do a lot of different things from just a lot of stuff and whatever. It ain't about me right now. But my point is like people always ask me like, how do you do it? And for me, it's like, it's literally purpose. It's almost like asking, you know, a car, how does it drive all these miles? It's like, I was created to drive. Like, I'm doing what I was created to do. So that is amazing that you rub shoulders with all those people that God gave you the opportunity. But it also took you having a mentality, like you said, it was for the community. At that time, it was nothing you could really gain from it. So it was like you were just doing what you were purposed to do. And so they, they start taking your name to the governor and, and then what, like what, what actually ends up, what becomes the deciding uh, or, or the, the, the changing factor that all these years, 28 years, 11 months, all these denials, what was that, that moment or that actual change? Wow. That's a great question. Well, it got to the point that they end up, we filed a commentation that granted me a hearing on July 11th, 7 what they call it, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, 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 and was able to um, um, mesmerize the parole board member. Uh, he had to go vote uh, and push it on, and he, uh, he took it back to a vote, and they granted me a, uh, a public hearing. And so at the public hearing, they take, took me to Jackson, Michigan, and shackled. Uh, they took me to a room and where we literally had busloads of people inside this room. Um, 
with the where they had to call the fire marshal and uh, not allow anyone else to come <laughs> into the room. Yeah. And so that. we had literally like two bus loads that couldn't get in. Wow. And it was a mixture of people from all walks of life, attorneys, judges, uh, uh, all kind of folks, business people, pastors and leaders, man. They were there. But most importantly, my son was there. Oh, and my man. son, uh, uh, my son was there, but in the front row was the prayer warrior. Yeah, the mothers of Zion. I seen them when I walked in the room, <laughs> and the the prosecutor attorney sent a letter, a two page letter, asking them not to grant me relief. Wow. The attorney general uh, told me flat out that his office uh, do not support my release. Wow! After my son finished talking, I saw a tear inside the eyes of the attorney general. Wow. And the anointing took over that room, man. And <laughs> I walked amazing. out of that place with that blessed assurance. This was October the 16th, uh, 2018. And so I had to wait from October the 16th all the way to December the 27th mm-hmm. for an answer from the governor. It was on the last day of the legislative year in the evening time after everybody I knew got denied in that prison. Man. Everybody got denied. They ended up bringing one guy case back and allowed him an opportunity. And so uh, on that last day, Governor Snyder grant me a commutation and I heard it on the radio. That's how I got the news. You heard it on the radio? Absolutely. <laughs> that is amazing. Like, what was that like? What was that moment like? You know what I'm saying? Because you, like, like you said, you had to wait all the way to the last minute. You're seeing all these people get denied. And you end up hearing about it on the radio. Like On the radio. What was your reaction to that? Man, uh... I was serving at that time. They say service is the rent we pay for the space we occupy. <laughs> so I was I was still at that time. I knew that if nothing came through, that it was over with, but I believe that something was coming through. Yeah. I had faith. Everybody was asking me, did you hear anything? You hear anything? You hear anything? They was asking me that every day. I said, no, but it's coming. Man. And so on the last day, I'm at work. Uh, serving in a GED class because I have about five jobs. So mm-hmm. I, I go make some copies for my supervisor. And when I put the paper in the machine, uh, it, they announced it on the radio. Governor Snyder just commuted the sentence of 26 people. Wow. I looked at my supervisor and said, that's me. <laughs> they didn't say my name on the radio. Yeah. I went to go ask one of the staff members if they could pull up on the computer uh, uh, this announcement. It was in the Associated Press. My name was on the bottom of the list. Wow. I was the last name on the list. And uh, I went and to a back room and broke down like a baby. Man. And literally uh, feeling the shackles 
loose. My bands were loose. <laughs> that Amen. very moment. Amen. And I couldn't do nothing but walk and leap and praise God. <laughs> Man, that is amazing. You know, it, one of the things I want to ask about, go back to really quick, you you brought up your son. I hadn't really thought much about that. Um, Your kids, how, you know, like you said, you know, you were kind of put in a position, you know, put them in a position you were in. Um, And clearly, if he spoke, I'm assuming that you, you guys were able to somehow cultivate at least some type of a relationship. So, you know, what would you say about, you know, your kids in general from you know, how you were able to maybe try to build some type of relationship with them as they were growing up and, and you were in prison. Um, and then obviously into now, um, being able to be free. Um, what, what are those relationships like and, and has it, has it been able to grow? Oh, absolutely, man. Um, I maintain a beautiful relationship with my children on the inside, man. I, uh, my children know me as a praying man. Okay. My son was one years old when he left, when I left, and my daughter was six months. And so, thank the Lord that he saved me and delivered me and set me free early on in the incarceration. So I had the opportunity to pray with my children uh, as far as they can even remember. They don't wow. know nothing but prayer <laughs> in my life. That's amazing. Uh, and we sat down and studied the Bible on the visits. I would send some scriptures. I would buy them Bibles. Um, I would make sure they got birthday gifts and Christmas gifts throughout my entire incarceration. And uh, we would call and talk on the phone. Uh, I would call them and talk on the phone with them. And, you know, a beautiful relationship. My son, when he graduated from high school, I worked with him uh, to get thousands of thousands, tens and tens of thousands of dollars in scholarships and stuff. I, I, I take a uh, godly pride in yeah. working with him to be able to go to Michigan State University, uh, basically debt free, you know, wow. and um, not off a sports scholarship, not off an academic scholarship, but by the scholarships that me and him grind for, and I was able to work with him with. And he graduated from Michigan State University, worked for a Fortune 250 company. He speaks uh, throughout the country and has spoke. Uh, in three different countries, you know, uh, and he's a phenomenal, phenomenal young man. My daughter, she's saved, beautiful person. She has her own business. Um, and some, she has my grandson, um, who is five years old. I have a phenomenal relationship with him. Uh, he FaceTime me almost every single day. We talk constantly and, um, God has, uh, really, really bless our relationship, and we are closer than you can even imagine. My son and I is also working on a book. We're finishing up a book right now, uh, and we look look forward to uh, blessing the community with that uh, in the very near future. Oh, I look forward to that. I got to meet your kids too, man. I, it's like so many dynamics to all this stuff. I hate that we're dealing with, um, you know, what's going on in the world today, but, you know, when this is over with, you know, we got to find a way to, uh, get together. I know you kind of, um, I missed you on Thanksgiving. We went to the, um, I think y'all were at Kaim house and I had, um, man, you know, being married, me and my wife, we got so many houses to go to. I was like, I was somewhere else that day or whatever. So I, I missed you on Thanksgiving, but I'm excited, man, just to hear, 
what you're doing. And, and it don't surprise me that you were able to kind of keep those relationships with your kids just because of the kind of guy that you are. And, and that's why I wanted to bring you on this show is like, for me, it was just amazing that I never heard anything but good stuff about you. Like, and, and I'm just being, what I'm about to say, I'm being so real, right? I'm just being honest right now, right? You know the stigma of somebody who's in prison. And so for me growing up, it would always be like, yeah, your cousin Daryl, you know, but it was always this positive, like, I'm telling you, man, like, if, I know you're not surprised, but like people always talked about you in a positive way. And when I was like a teenager, I'm like, I just remember think like, what is so great about this guy? Like everybody, like he, I'm like, so he's in prison, but yet everybody speaks highly of him. So I think that in and of itself is just an amazing thing um, that even in the midst of bad situations, the Lord has allowed you um, to to have a certain level of character and integrity. And, and I just think that's something, it, it inspires me, to be honest, because it's easy to have character and integrity when everything is going well for you. Um, but when the odds are stacked against you and everything's not in your favor, um, it's, it, you know, you really need to exercise that faith. So last thing I want to um, ask you about before I let you go, is, you know, just some of the, you talked about with your son and your daughter, what they're doing now, um, and they sound phenomenal, you know, but what are some of the things you're doing now? So, you know, you, you obviously been, been out for over a year now. Um, and so what is life like now on this side? I've definitely seen you obviously on Facebook, um, preaching at churches. I didn't see you preaching a lot of places. Actually, I'm like, man, this guy, like, <laughs> like they, it's just amazing how God has gifted you in that way to be able to um, come out and, and be able to be such an eloquent speaker and just, you know, I, obviously being being your family, I, I watch your your page, especially when you first got out and was really just curious to learn about you. Um, so what are some of the things that you're doing now? You talked about the book, you know, just kind of, um, I'll leave the floor for you to kind of close it out. You know, anything you want to tell people about life now and what you have going on. Um, and if there's a way to contact you, um, you know, for when your book comes out or things like that, if you want to share any of that contact information. Absolutely. Uh, I, I appreciate you, man. I appreciate your spirit and, uh, thank God for the anointing that's on your life. It, you come from that type of stock. And, uh, what I have been doing since I've been out, man, uh, I recognize that I was blessed to be a blessing. Yeah. So. I refuse to forget where I came from. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I'm doing everything I can to be able to help transform uh, this system that we invest $2 billion a year at, in, in the state of Michigan that don't work. Yeah. And so I've been uh, a part of the criminal justice reform community and doing what I can there. I've, testified before uh, the task force with the lieutenant governor and the chief justice of the uh, Michigan Supreme Court. I've um, been speaking in colleges uh, and working with young people. I work with uh, people who are uh, in the juvenile system right now um, and so do some phenomenal things with them and try to do some innovative things that's going to help them uh, be deterred from going to uh, the prison system. Yeah. And, um, I'm also, 
uh, right now I'm entrenched in trying to reduce the population in the county jails and the Michigan Department of Corrections during this pandemic. Uh, we have done some phenomenal things in terms of working with uh, the chief uh, of the Wayne County Jail, um, Robert Dunlap. Uh, he's been working with us and our organization to be able to uh, help those who are in the Wayne County Jail and uh, been part of uh, the movement in terms of uh, asking our governor to take executive action to um, to reduce the prison population. Yeah. And so uh, I, I, I've been so busy during this time of pandemic. I've been more busy now than I was. Um, before the pandemic, me too. And so that's amazing. Me too, man. Awesome. It's is it, it? It's a mindset thing. It's a purpose thing. Like you know, people people who have a purpose, it it doesn't. You know, when I I, I said something recently. Um, you know, when you reach the promise, it don't get easier. When you reach the promise, it's time to fight. And you look at when when the Joshua generation crosses over the Jordan River and they go into the promised land. They had to go and now fight all of these people who were occupying their space. And sometimes we mm. look at the promise, you know, in your case, freedom, right? Hey, I'm going to sit back. Mm. I'm going to kick back and do nothing. No, like, so pandemic, hey, it's time to fight. You know, it. so that you are 100% right, man. Like, I ain't mean to cut you off, but it's just an amazing thing to say. Like, you're more, you're busier now than you were beforehand. And it sounds like you're doing some amazing things. So uh, I didn't mean to cut you off, but you can go ahead and finish that. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, uh, we, it, that's what we're supposed to do. And I, and I, I don't, I don't get a, a, a pat on the back. I don't get right. any of those type of things in my mind. In my mind, this is what we're supposed to do, and this is what this is what community look like. This is what the people of God look like, you know. And 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 during this time of pandemic, I believe a lot of places of worship have been exposed, yeah. you know, uh, uh, because, uh, you know, I'm not a church badger or anything. Of no, that I'm nature, with you. I got I, you. I, I absolutely believe that uh, let the real church please stand up. Amen. <laughs> you know? Amen. There's and a responsibility. Think, yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. And, and But, you know, I, I believe that God has taken us to the next level. Uh, and, and he's ministering to us, and I can hear him clearly uh, during this time. We at Greater Grace lost a phenomenal pastor on two days ago, man. Uh, this Sorry guy is phenomenal, phenomenal. Pastor Gary Green, man, uh, pastor of Calvary Apostolic uh, Church. Uh, he comes out of Greater Grace, uh, one of the best friends of Bishop Charles Ellis. And wow. Sorry uh, to hear that. he, he, this guy was serving so many people and loving on so many people. He didn't die of COVID. He said he had a heart attack, oh, but it was like, wow. You yeah. know, yeah, uh, just but in the he, midst of all this, but I'm going to tell you this and I close it out on this point. I was watching him intently for the last uh, several weeks during this time. He was really, with a sense of urgency, man, for the people, man. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm talking about interceding like, man, like, wow, if you go on his Facebook page, you see him crying out before the Lord, man, 
and 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 crying his soul out before yeah. the Lord, man, interceding. And I said, man, this is ministry. You know, Amen. I'm talking about in his living room on his at his kitchen table, man. Wow. And and this guy, he's he he was a a, a person who who has been blessed. But he had the burden to cry out for the people, man. And oh, and I was like, amazing. wow. And that, and that's how he left. And and, and God, you know, the, as, and again, sorry to hear that, but I think you know, like you, to the point that you're making, he was blessed and still doing that. And I and I think you know, similar to what you're doing, and so many others, like you said, it's not about you. It's not about anybody when we bring people on this show to talk about them. We really are pointing back to Christ and, and, and how God has moved. Like we, you know, we're we're talking through your story to point people to God. And and I, I love that you haven't forgotten where you came from and that, you know, the Lord freed you. Number one, number one, you're talking about life. And he, I'm going to tell you the favorite my favorite thing about this life without the possibility of parole, <laughs> but yet you're free. And so Lord, I... the, 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 the way that God works and in the way when you talk about faith and hope, the substance of things hoped for, regardless of what the diagnosis is, regardless of what the verdict is, if, the, if it's without the possibility, with God, anything is possible. And I hope that's what people will take away from uh, this conversation today is that with God, anything is possible, even in the midst of the impossible. So, look, cuz, I'm going to let you go ahead, man. I appreciate you so much for taking the time uh, for us having a, uh, really our first in-depth conversation. This was super cool. Um, and we definitely got to do it again. And when this stuff is all over, I'll definitely want to meet up. You know, we had kind of talked back and forth a little through text, but. Um, we both super busy. I know that, but I definitely want to make time when this stuff is over and um, to get around you in person and um, just meet you in person and kick it some more. And um, again, man, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. Uh, it's my pleasure, man. I'm so godly proud of you, man. And it's an honor to be your cousin, man. Uh, keep on doing what you're doing and allowing the Lord to use you, man. And I'm, I'm sure it's going to be a blessing to someone. Thank you so much. That means the world to me is an honor to be your cousin as well. So, all right, I'll let you go ahead. Have a good night. Um, I'll definitely be in touch with you. Um, you know, man, and this is going to bless the people. So thank you. All right. Much love to you and much love to everyone. All right. Thank you. Bye. All right. God's people, thank you so much for listening to today's show. If you enjoy what you heard, please do stop over to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, subscribe to the show. You can just even Google Inspire God's People and enjoy every show all the way back to our first episode. And please do not forget to tell a friend. We love you. Inspire God's People. Inspire God's People. If you looking for me, I'll be in my own world. Create for the creator when I'm in my own world. I surf below the surface, it's layers to my purpose. Inspire God's people when I'm in my own world. Look in the sky, there ain't no stars in it. The art is all natural and authentic. Rivers of love, we swimming for us. We can't drown if we fall in it. If you looking for me, I'll be in my own world. 
Create for the creator when I'm in my own world I surf below the surface, it's layers to my purpose Inspire God's people when I'm in my own world